Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Coil Forever's On the Wing podcast. Day four recap of the rooster road trip that turned into the 2019 Quail Quest. <laughs> and uh, because it is the Quail Quest slash rooster road trip for this episode, we have uh, uh, Chad Love, editor of the Quail Forever Journal, Laura MacGyver, uh, the regional rep for Oklahoma, two of our most diehard quail conservation advocates in the entire organization, joining Andrew and I for this particular episode of uh, the Rooster Road Trip Recap Podcast. But before we go to the recap, we do have breaking news. Uh, it happened about 11 o'clock Eastern time this morning. If you look on the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever websites right now, you will see a press release from our organization following up on an announcement from the U.S. Department of Agriculture this morning saying that finally we have a CRP sign-up ready to roll. It starts Monday, folks. CRP is Back open for the first time since 2016 with a general sign-up slated for December 9th through February 28th. Um, first of all, what is CRP? If you're a hardcore longtime pheasant hunter, you know CRP is the absolute best friend that's ever been created for pheasant hunters in the entire history of the conservation um, in the United States. If you think about um, the long history of CRP, it was, it was signed into law in 1985 by President Ronald Reagan on December 23rd, one day after my birthday, so I can remember that. Um, not that I was born in 85, just December 23rd. <laughs> but uh, it has been the single most successful conservation program in the history of the United States uh, and pheasant hunters long-term pheasant hunters know that uh, but for folks that maybe are a little bit newer to pheasants forever quail forever in our conservation mission CRP stands for the conservation reserve program and in really boiled down terms it helps farmers ranchers landowners look at their property where some of those tough to farm acres or environmentally sensitive acres, they might be along a stream side, they might be on the side of a hill, those acres that just are hard to pull off a crop. Well, CRP rents those acres from landowners to put, for those landowners to put those acres into habitat. Um, it helps prevent soil erosion. It helps protect water quality. And the reason Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever love it so dearly is that habitat component. If you drive across the country, you know, especially in the pheasant belt, Montana, Minnesota, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, it is the foundation for wildlife populations across the breadbasket of America. It is the foundation for public access programs that are built on top of private lands. We, we were uh, in Kansas just a few days ago, walk-in hunting access program, the, the WEHA program in Kansas. 
would not exist without CRP. The Open Fields and Waters Program in Nebraska, one of the finest in the country, 325,000 acres here in the state of Nebraska, creating habitat for wildlife and access for hunters, would not exist without CRP. Walk-in program in South Dakota, walk-in hunter access in Minnesota, OLAP in Oklahoma, plots in uh, North Dakota. What am I missing? Uh, Iowa's IHAP. Uh, Illinois, Michigan, you know, all these states would not have these walk-in programs without the Conservation Reserve Program. And, and that's, just a, that's just a portion of... It's a launching pad, uh, actually, for a number of programs that did not exist for our producers to be able to set aside those properties, those pieces of their property that they can't make any money on. So it, it is... A major, major news day in the world of conservation, in the world of bird hunting. Um, Some additional statistics for you. Um, If you think back just a little more than a decade ago, we had 36.8 million acres enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP. 36.8 million acres 12 years ago. Those, if you think about it, the the timeline as bird hunters, 2007, 2008, 2009, when were the best years of your lifetime bird hunting? It wasn't that long ago. It was 2007, 2008, 2009. Pheasant hunters, quail hunters, prairie grouse hunters. It was the peak of CRP. And since that time, we have lost 14 million. 14 million acres of CRP. To put that in perspective, think about Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan, 22,000 square miles. The entirety of Lake Michigan disappeared off the face of America's pheasant range as habitat. 22,000 square miles, and it shows. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. The bird numbers have fallen, pollinators, monarch butterflies, water quality, soil. Here in front of us right now announced today to help farmers, to help ranchers, to help landowners take those tough to farm acres, farm the best, conserve the rest, right? Farm the best, conserve the rest from December 9th through February 28th. We encourage all landowners to go check out their options with Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, Farm Bill Biologists, or USDA Service Center. Farm Bill Biologists, you can find on our website. Just click on the Habitat tab, look, drop down, and you'll find the map. Or you can go to the USDA website and find a local service center. But you have a ton of opportunity right now, and a ton. USDA calls this one of the largest CRP general sign-up opportunities in history with over 8 million acres available for enrollment in the next year. That is fantastic. That's big smoke. Eight? Mm -hmm. I maybe buried the lead there a little bit. Yeah, I was was (laughs) about to ask, but I figured you had a point. (laughs) Eight million acres. So if we think about this, you know, I mentioned that uh, the, the high point of CRP was 36.8 back in 2007 when we lost 14 million 
and we've had a number of different farm bills in that time, and the CRP cap was cut down to $24 million. Well, with our new farm bill that got signed the end of last year, it moved it up to twenty-seven. the difference of $3 million. So where's the $8 million come from, right? Well, it's because we hadn't had a general sign-up for the last couple of years, and, and you know, we're, they all, all expire in September. So we have those additional 3 million acres of opportunity from the new farm bill and expirations that are coming up. So if you have acres that have recently expired or are soon to expire, get into your, C- or to your USDA office or your farm bill biologist and find out what your opportunities are because there are some changes too. Um, so there, there's some changes related to the safe program state acres for wildlife enhancement and i can remember in 2004 it was my second year working for pheasants forever president bush came to southern minnesota and announced at a uh, pheasants forever collaborative event president bush announced the second president bush uh, <laughs> announced the safe program state acres for wildlife ha- enhancement and they it, it's a program that specifically allows states to create CRP acres around specific um, wildlife species. There's a whole bunch of states in the southern range focused on quail. Mm -hmm. There's like the back 40 pheasants in Minnesota. There's a pheasant program in South Dakota. There's mule deer programs out west. State acres for wildlife enhancement is one of the best components of CRP. Um, that is going to be part of the general sign-up in this coming, um, this coming um, sign-up that begins on Monday. So um, definitely get into your USDA office and, and find out about that change. Um, crep acres are going to be coming up for enrollment. There's a new, sci- new program, uh, the Grassland sign-up, which will be coming up in March, uh, March of 2020. And then, uh, uh, let's see, what else? Um, so, so, big news day. I'm, I'm reading through it real quick, but uh, 8 million acres is the buried lead here. <laughs> 8 million acres. So, if you own land, if you're a farmer, if you're a rancher, if you're a bird hunter that knows people that own land, uh, now is the time to, to explore your options and see if we can clean our waterways protect our soils, uh, get some wildlife habitat on the landscape, and just as importantly, think about what those habitat acres mean to rural economies. You know, I, I, I've come to McCook, Nebraska, uh, probably every year, maybe outside of one in the last eight years. I had no idea. That's because of CRP. Uh-huh. And the Open Fields and Waters program that's built on top of CRP. I, I would not have a reason to go to McCook. I have no relatives in the entire state of Nebraska. But I come here because the bird hunting in, in southwest Nebraska is terrific. The opportunities uh-huh. for public access are terrific. Sock Center, Minnesota. I go to Sock Center, Minnesota because of wildlife management areas and CRP pro- acres that create those birds and then spill over onto public lands, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have any other reason to go to Sock Center, Minnesota, if it wasn't for these programs that are creating birds. I'm mm-hmm. spending my money in cafes buying the hot beef commercial for lunch. 
I'm filling up my gas tanks. We're staying at hotels. CRP is a rural economic driver, and it's not talked about enough. It fills cafes. It fills hotels. Think about South Dakota opening weekend without CRP, right? It would be... I don't think they could even imagine that. And and South Dakota just sets the bar at a different level for embracing hunters and opening their their mm-hmm. doors and welcome hunter banners everywhere their airport and the, the Sioux Falls yeah. airport rolls out the orange carpet <laughs> and that is all built around CRP people going to South Dakota because of habitat that exists so I live yeah I live 40 miles from the from the Kansas border and uh I probably hunt Kansas just as much as I hunt Oklahoma. I don't know if I should be admitting that, but I do. (laughs) And the reason that I can do that is CRP. CRP. Now, you know, I recognize Rooster Road Trip is built all around public access. And and we fancy ourselves at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever as public land creators. And we're incredibly proud of our ability to create land through land acquisitions that become wildlife management areas, waterfall production areas, um, access programs, easements. The other half is CRP, private lands, um, represent an overwhelming percentage of the land that's out there across the United States, and we want habitat on those lands as well. It's, It's not a single, you know, it's not a single rifle approach to conservation. It's a shotgun approach with two big BBs, right? CRP and uh, public land. So um, we will move to our uh, our recap of of day four of the rooster road trip. But encourage folks, please go to the Pheasants Forever website, read the brand new press release. It's on the newsroom. Um, And if you own property in the country, Please check out your options for the Conservation Reserve Program. And for all those landowners out there who are signed up for CRP and any other program out there that improves water, protects our soils, and uh, creates wildlife habitat, our sincerest thank yous from Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And the folks that do all those habitat programs and then also add access for the public to go hunt on their private ground, all those folks enrolled in open fields and waters, in Weeha, in walk-in access, and I have, thank you. You are doing a great service to your community because you're bringing people in that spend money and uh, um, have a wonderful time experiencing experiencing your rural um, areas. So we've done that the last couple of days, so let's talk about that. Today, we were out on one of those open fields and waters programs looking for pheasants, and they were there. They just didn't want to play nice. (laughs) They were definitely there, and I think we all entered today feeling fairly confident. Mm -hmm. Um, Today was one of those rare instances where we woke up in a place where we hunted previously, because generally we we do move from spot to spot, from region to region, Um, and Late last night, as we were heading back into town, we, we noticed a combine ripping through uh, a cornfield right next to an open fields and waters uh, property. 
And so all of us just kind of looked at each other. <laughs> no words needed to be said. We knew where we were, we were going to go bright and early the next morning. It's we, like a Saturday morning cartoon. The one, you, you know the one with the cat where the eyes bulge out? <laughs> the, the little uh, bubble bops like, jackpot! <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it was a no-brainer for us um, just because I think we all went to, to bed with visions of pheasants piling out of that corn <laughs> directly into that field just, just waiting for us the next morning. Um, but uh, like many dreams, they don't always match reality. So. Seems like a long time ago this morning, too. It I does. have to say. And it was, it was, uh, it was beautiful, right? Because it was, oh, that, it was. That, yes. that hoarfrost on the It was a nice grasses. walk. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it, actually. I, I, it was. You know, the dogs yeah. were cooperative. I saw it was a ton a, of tracks. It was a beautiful sunrise. Uh, it just missed one thing. Yeah, I, I called it <laughs> the entire reason walk. we were there. Yeah, and I, I, I was okay with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're going to take a stroll through the field with good friends and, and good dogs, it might as well be in a gorgeous setting like that. Yeah. Um, so there are certainly worse places to be. Um, but our, our great infallible plan went to went to the wayside <laughs> and, and did not produce any birds. Um, so then a little bit of pressure started to to ramp up on in me personally you feel more pressure than <laughs> um, the rest of us i i was i was definitely feeling some pressure and you know baxter i don't think was really on his game today either <laughs> um in previous podcasts we, we've lamented the ups and downs of, of bird dogs and there are a few different times where um i i found myself getting a little frustrated with him just in terms of he wasn't really keeping up with the group he was mm-hmm. just kind of he'd go down the line and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my Garmin device and I'm kind of judging, okay, Chad's on the opposite end. He's Chad's best friend. So <laughs> he, he, he looks to be about a hundred yards out. So he's probably just working with Chad. That's fine. I can handle that. But then you stop paying attention for a few minutes mm-hmm. and you look down again. It's like, Chad's still in line. My dog is now 150 <laughs> yards behind us. Mm-hmm. Okay. We need to go get birds, and now the group has to stop for me to go, you know, corral my dog and, and get things moving. So I, I started to feel some pressure, and then you know the fact that we had back-to-back nights of four hours of sleep probably mm. didn't help. Um, but we we made the the decision to uh, head to another open fields and water uh, property, and this one was a, a little bit bigger, and it had um, a little bit bigger. A little. Well, it was it was huge. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> on the magnitude of. I mean, it was a full section. You think it was it a full section? I'm pretty sure that was I a think full so. section. I, I think so. Yeah, it felt like a full section. I think my uh, my measure my app that takes you know how many steps confirmed that. Yes. <laughs> 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 uh, and, and like m- most of our trips so far, there's just been wild flushing birds mm-hmm. everywhere we go. Um, but you had a a little bit of a. <laughs> A rookie uh, mistake. A walkabout. I wouldn't call it a, a mistake. <laughs> well, it was a mistake. They're your words. <laughs> so <laughs> probably a quarter of the way in, I'm on the right-hand side, and all the dogs at that point were in front of me, and they were birdie as heck, and they were moving. They were pointing and relocating and pointing and relocating because Chad, that's what's going on down there. Because I was on the other <laughs> well, end, so, <laughs> I so had that no came, idea that came into play too. Because as Chad knows, right, pheasant pheasants don't play by the rules. They don't. And that drives you crazy. That, it irritates me. Yes. Um, <laughs> and this was a rooster that um, was, it, you know, has cheated since kindergarten. 
Right. I mean, didn't read any of the bird doc books <laughs> and would not hold for anything. And, but I didn't know that, but I should have. So all the dogs are pointing, relocating, and the dogs are moving. So we're walking the, you know, the t- stereotypical pheasant line, which is another one of my pet peeves as a guy that prefers to hunt solo because I can just follow wherever the dog goes. But I have this Catholic guilt of staying and playing by the rules. <laughs> and so I'm watching these dogs veer off at, let's say, 2.30, 2, 2 o'clock, between 2 and 3 o'clock. And I look over my left shoulder, and uh, everybody in the line <laughs> is looking at me. And I keep following all the dogs, and I'm probably getting, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away, a little bit further away. And the dogs are keeping birdie. I'm like, oh, jeez. I started having um, a heart attack when I look at my Garmin, and it has 270 yards. Yeah. That my dog was at. And, and I knew <laughs> I was perpetuating pushing, uh, letting all the other do- owner's dogs and my dog, but I, I had visual on my dog, but I was watching all the other dogs go with me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which at that time, there was a pretty significant group, five or six of us, five or six dogs. It was the bumpus <laughs> hounds for sure. And uh, <laughs> they were all, you know, none of them were really getting out in front, but they were all moving at a speed that... I had to hurry, and I took another look back at the crew, and, and I could see, there goes Bob again. And, and the, guy do, <laughs> the guy I do radio with, Billy Hildebrand in, in Twin Cities on KFAN, gives me grief about this endlessly <laughs> because this happens all the time when we just bird. And it's not a big deal when we just bird hunt because we'll eventually meet back up. But here I am, the schmo. That's running out a half a mile away from the rest of the crew with all their dogs. And I'd look back again, and the dogs got a little bit farther, and the biggest long tail of the trip gets up well out of my range. But if I had been doing what I was supposed to be doing, I would have been hustling up there, and I would have had a shot at a just a magnificent rooster. But there is a reason that rooster is still flying. <laughs> that's a three-year-old bird right there because that bird has been chased and mm-hmm. knows the game but yeah that was probably the best morning opportunity that i let slip through my hands well the the, the, the heartbreaking part of watching all this unfold because you were actually to my left when this started mm-hmm. but my dog was way down to the left because that's where chad was <laughs> and so i saw all the dogs starting to peel off to the right I immediately just stopped walking and started walking back to the left, knowing that you were about to go zoom and, and, and veer off. <laughs> it was like the moment you stopped walking was when that, that rooster finally got up. You know? yeah. And I was like, oh, especially for a guy who just ended a podcast, like two podcasts ago. It was yell, yesterday. Yelling. Always <laughs> follow the dog. I did. I did. That was, that's that's going to be my new tagline. I rolled it out last night. I always follow the dog, and it was ringing in my ear, and I didn't follow my own words. We all have our moments of glory. Yeah. Yeah, but that is, I mean, that is something with pheasant hunting. And this will be interesting to get, a quail hunter's perspective on this too, Laura and, and Chad. But with pheasants, you know, this is, if you're going to bag roosters, uh, it's great to get staunch points out of your bird dog. 
but some of the best are the ones that relocate and move. And if you can mm-hmm. get that bird dog that can get in front of mm-hmm. the dog and pin it between you, yeah. well, then you've just hit the ultimate bird dog jackpot for pheasants. Uh, and I've only witnessed a couple of dogs that have that sort of um, well, class, you know, but, but when you can find that, holy Macros at a game changer, but we didn't have. We didn't find it today. So that was a long story over a rooster that nobody shot at. <laughs> I saw it. That was a magnificent bird. It was a monster. And I was totally it, convinced that my dog had busted that bird that, too. That was a master. Egg. I would have won a patch for that one. That was that was enormous. But it'll and and you know that's part of. That's part of the fun, too. You know, that bird will be in my memory for an awful long time. And it'll remind me, probably tomorrow, always <laughs> follow the dog. It'll probably happen tomorrow, for, for sure. Yeah. You're, you're going to veer off, but you're going to go over the horizon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you guys know that from the beginning. Like, that's just, you know, my dogs, my dogs rarely hunt the line. And... It's so hard to hunt in this scenario, and I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Every you are all shaking your heads yeah. because none of us true. I mean, we've got two. We got a photographer, a videographer, and then what do we have? Five hunters. Um, this is the biggest group. Even just the five hunters, it's the biggest group I've hunted in in multiple years <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I I tend to hunt. One, by myself or maybe one or two one other, other person mm-hmm. um it's just from a pheasant hunting perspective in particular and this is another thing that you guys can weigh in as quail hunters in a moment um you know that ability to veer in whatever direction your dog takes you it you know it's a public land secret it's a private land secret it's a pheasant hunting secret it's not a secret follow the damn <laughs> and, and how do you do that on a line? That's it's, what can... it's so impossible to do it on a line. Because right. I always feel like one of the things that, that I always worry about when I'm pheasant hunting with a, a group of people is pulling my dog off birds. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, and I you know hate, me. Yeah, you know me. Yeah. I tend to gravitate toward the end. Yeah, you're you're a lone hunter too. I, I am. Yeah, ninety five percent of my hunting I do I do alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I I tend to gravitate toward the end of the line. And and when I see my dog start going off on a line away from the group. I'm always wondering, okay, should I just peel off and follow my dog or should I follow pheasant hunting etiquette and just call my dog off and and keep going? That is the single biggest thing that I dislike about pheasant hunting because there is that pheasant hunting etiquette where you're not, you're supposed to keep the line, right? That's not the way. And you start getting really self-conscious, you know, when you see other people moving ahead of you and it starts getting ragged and you wonder if if they're... And I didn't know this about you because I've not really hunted pheasant hunting before with you. And at the beginning of the trip, I'm like, where's he going? (laughs) And it doesn't make it for the camp. It doesn't make it easy for the camera guy Mm -hmm. either. You know, and like, Bob, come, come back to the crew, come back to the crew. And so that's... That's always been um, a challenge because, you know, like anybody that has a bird dog. Yeah, because you and I have talked about this. I mean, we I think we hunt very similar fashion. Uh, I mean, I don't have any real uh, strategy. You know, when I go hunting, I unload the dog, and wherever that dog goes, 
I just tend to follow because mm-hmm. I figure he's got a better nose than I do. Yep. And uh, that, that's the way I like to do it. And when you're in that line, it's, I, I just don't know how to act. I, I guess I'm just not a natural pheasant hunter. Yeah. I, well, it's not just pheasants for, in my pers- from my perspective. I think about growing up as a rough grouse hunter. Um, and this is before the age of GPS and you have the compass, right? But I always, I learned to bird hunt by boxing myself into a place. So there may be a road, a logging right. trail, a stream. I f- try to find four qu- quadrant or a quadrant with four uh, borders and just go and just follow the dog wherever the dog takes, knowing I might have a stream on this end, a dirt road on that end, gravel here, paved road here, whatever it is. And I'm not going to get lost, but I don't have to walk a line. I can do curly cues in the woods for all that matters you know and that's you know that's kind of how i hunt pheasants when i go to kansas and i'll hunt a crp a weehaw field uh you know you have a a quarter or a half section field and i let the dog out and we just hunt it however however the dog feels like hunting it Uh, but you i try to cover the whole area in whatever way the dog wants to cover it so pinions around the room is it more effective to pheasant hunt in the large group walking the block covering a lot of ground or is it more effective one person following the dog stealth mission oh i think it's absolutely more effective blocking you know with the large group i mean i think that was demonstrated on day one when we got those those pheasants in that one field i've Mm -hmm. hunted that field a number of times i've never shot more than two roosters out of that field Mm -hmm. and we saw and i've never seen that many uh, pheasants in that field so in terms of of efficiency I think that that, you know, the the line, the skirmish line and the mm-hmm. blockers and all that, I think that works really well. In terms of aesthetics, that's another story. Yeah. I mean, for me personally. I, hey, I, I don't even have to weigh in because you said it for me. <laughs> what do you think, Laura? Well, I'm in agreement as far as efficiency goes, but I'm a safety freak. I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you. I usually don't like hunting with a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. and you guys actually passed the mark. I You passed every test for safety as far as, you know, getting out there. And um, I look at the wind, mm-hmm. and, and are we doing this in the common sense way mm-hmm. of being able to let the dogs work at least one time mm-hmm. into the wind, you know, that type of thing. But um, efficient usually you're going to have the line which is not my preference mm-hmm. i would much rather do it with like one or two other people right. so andrew well someone who owns a pointing dog and a flushing dog you're conflicted in all sorts of ways <laughs> story of my life um i i, I do think that you know a, a medium-sized line with quartering retrieving or flushing breeds mm-hmm you're not going to beat that in pheasant country right? because um, those dogs are trained to work in front of you, to work 20 to 40 yards in front of you, always be within range. And, you know, they have just as good a nose as, as the pointing breed. So they're, they're out there searching too, but everything is contained. And when you keep that line contained and you're doing your pivots, you can basically grid out a field and have confidence that, yeah, a couple might kind of move off to the side here and there, but you can feel like we covered that. Mm-hmm. Like we did a good job covering right. that versus when, you know, what happened to us in like this bigger section, like we kind of spread out cause we have bigger running dogs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and suddenly there's all these gaps. 
So you might have might as well have been hunting alone. All that rooster mm-hmm. had to do was sidestep you five feet, and he's like, "See ya." <laughs> and they did. <laughs> so, so to me, I I kept on, um, um, like worrying about us being too spread out because yeah. a it made Jake's job miserable because yep. he couldn't get anything on film. Right. And we ha- we were employing a strategy, but we're doing it in, in an effective way. Yeah. And so we weren't able to follow our dogs because we were trying to stay in a line. Yep. But we weren't actually enjoying the benefits of hunting in a line because we were too spread out. Why did you wait this long to sh- point this out to us? <laughs> because I've been telling people <laughs> what to do for the entire week, and I'm sure they're all sick of it. <laughs> I can remember. I don't know if you remember this, but um, the very first morning of the very first rooster road trip in North Dakota, <laughs> so uh, we get out of the vehicles and literally it took me a hundred yards to break away from you and Anthony. <laughs> Do you remember this? I, I don't. This was that long ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I got in front of all the birds. I got all the shooting and you guys are down at the bottom <laughs> of this thing. And like, what the hell are you doing, Bob? You're just, we can't capture anything. You're so far away. <laughs> yeah, but we were still neophytes back then. Yeah, so, I know. So we, so we were learning from you, and now we we have we have read the book of Bob. So <laughs> so, so, so really, we, so we, we follow the damn dog. So yeah. you know, like we we feel the same kind of conflicted feelings yeah. when we're we're stuck in this line. But you, if you do it right, you just have to know that okay, we are going to cover this field. Mm-hmm. So if there's any anything in this we're going to have confidence that we're going to get, you know, right. get a few to flush up versus that section walk kind of fell apart on us. And like, I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll cut to the chase on, chase on the, on the recap. Um, we, we had a couple more times where the dogs got birdie, a couple of false points in that section. Um, and that was kind of it. Yeah. And you know, throughout this entire time, Chad's been kind of passive. So let me pause you right before you go there, because if folks want to see how it should work, watch day three video of what Jake took because we were super tight, right? And those birds were cooperative compared to today. (laughs) And exactly what you talked about should have happened with us and the birds (laughs) and the dogs. We had point after point after point and everything was contained. It was on video. We got shooting at the roosters. Every root, well, most of the roosters (laughs) in front of us fell because it was, everything worked pretty well. So I'll point you to the video from day three, don't watch the video up for dog work necessarily <laughs> <laughs> on the morning of day four. So I'm sorry I cut you off because you were, I know where you're going. You're perfect transition to we changed the plan. Well, yeah. Day. So, so so we, we we changed the plan, and not only did we change the plan, we we changed the bird. Mm-hmm. Um, th- throughout a lot of the the, the trip. Chad and I have been joking with each other about, you know, what's the better bird, a pheasant or a quail? And Chad's been lamenting, like, I just need to find a, a gentlemanly bird. You know, I need, I need to find a, a, a quail. And I'm ribbing him that, no, his dog loves the pheasant hunt. It doesn't matter if, if you don't, but your dog's becoming a great pheasant. He has. Dog. He's, he's, uh, he's making the transition. I don't know if I like that or not. But, uh. but, but earlier today, we were, we were talking and just kind of joking about, you know, how – why don't our dogs like to, to hunt over us? Why is it always every, everyone else? Mm-hmm. And he just kind of made this comment, well, maybe maybe they're just acting out because they, they really want some quail. Maybe <laughs> they're, they're tired of this, this pheasant stuff. And so uh, that was a little bit of foreshadowing, and then we, we decided to go, okay, let, let's go for it. Um, so we located um, a, a, another publicly accessible property 
that had three different woody draws in it and it also had uh kind of a meandering coolie of, of grass that that connected all of them um it was it was a lot of land um so we decided to kind of cut straight across the grass and then find the woody draws hoping that that's where the, the bob whites would be um, we knew it'd be tighter cover so we strategically chose which dogs made the cut and I volunteered Baxter to stay, <laughs> stay behind. Um, it's a, Thanks for doing this. So we didn't have to. <laughs> I, I, I kind of saw the, the side eye glances. Like, so who's what's, what's he gonna do? Um, no, I, I love that that dog. But you know, that we're still building that that trust yeah. and that staunchness. And it's super and, young. Yeah, and, and I don't need to, to blow out the, you know what could be Chad's only moment of quail heaven here. <laughs> I thought Baxter's been doing fine the entire trip for the most part. I I love him. Oh, yeah, he's, 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 he's an awesome dog. But when it comes to, you know, Chad felt pressure to not have his big running dog blow out pheasants in the pheasant field. I felt pressure to not having, you know, my, my slightly inexperienced Brit blow out some of the only cowboys we, we would hopefully find. Um, so from, from there, I guess I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Chad take the story over in terms of, like, how the quail hunt went down. <laughs> Well, it, it, it went down a little bit differently than I thought it would because, you know, you, you mentioned that the mm. uh, I didn't want my big running dog to uh, to blow up the pheasant cover. Uh, as, as it turns out, the quail cover, I mm. think, was probably a little bit too tight for my dog. Mm. Uh, you know, it was a, a very densely... Uh, Thickets. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's sand plums up here. Do, do they call them sand I plums I don't know if here? they have them up here or not, I, I but they know. sure look like sand plums. Yeah, they look like sand plums. Whatever, they, they had thorns. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, extremely dense and I could not walk through them to save my life. And so it actually would have been a little bit better to have uh, Baxter, you know, working that thick cover to get those quail through oh, there. I already have owner's remorse here about leaving them behind. Now, now I'm yeah. real bad. <laughs> you, you, you should have had him out. Uh, it was, it was, it was cool. It, it's not typically, uh, it, it, from the road, it looked like the kind of stuff that we would hunt back home. Mm -hmm. And then you get down in it, and it was, I kind of thought it would be like grouse hunting in the North Woods. I mean, it was like. It wasn't like that either. It, it, <laughs> was it worse or easier? Or? Um, it was thick. Yeah, it was different. It, I mean, it felt like Nebraska, Kansas quail hunting to me. Because um, this is the type of quail hunting I've done the most of. Oh. And, you know, northern Kansas, southern Nebraska, every, the majority of the quail that I've hunted have been in these little open fields and waters we have bottom areas like little ravines and yeah. this was exactly what i expected to find quail in. and in in western kansas where i do most of my you know quail and pheasant my mixed hunting mm -hmm. it, it does look like that it just it wasn't quite as thick or it i don't i'm not used to it being quite that thick as what it was up here yeah. i guess that that did kind of surprise this this never-ending thicket that just went on and on and on and i'm in the middle of it trying to bust through and i'm usually pretty mm -hmm. good about busting through sand plum thickets you know i mean i kind of just sort of bulldoze my way through or find the deer trail and yeah mm -hmm. yeah there was no deer trail uh, yeah just uh, to answer your question, it doesn't it wasn't like grouse because you could see over the tops of most of this stuff whereas grouse hunting you're you know, yeah. claustrophobic the entire time. Yeah, so we, we, we get in this draw, and I, for whatever reason, uh, and I actually haven't seen the day three video yet of, of Leo kind of figuring out pheasants yet, uh, but uh, he just his head was not in the game today with, the, with the, the tighter cover and the draws. I tried to keep getting him into the draw to get in amongst those, those mm -hmm. plum thickets so I didn't have to. And uh, he just kept wanting to run the edges. 
and actually I think it was probably the other dogs that, that found the quail. I don't think Leo had anything to do with that today. I know I've sent Liberty in there quite a few times, and um, she'll work those thickets. She knows, and, and the way she works a thicket is that she'll go down the line. She cuts in. She goes through. She comes back out. And she goes down a little further, cuts back in. And that's what I was trying to do with Leo today, but that draw was a lot deeper than I expected it to be. There were some, so there were some areas. So when I try to get the dog into the draw to hunt cover, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call him up. I'll, I'll go into the cover myself, you know, and he kind of follows me around and then starts hunting around. And there, there were some areas in there where he literally could not get through the thickets. They were so mm-hmm. thick and they were very thick. steep, you know, angles down in. He just never could get in. I was on the side with Laura and I popped mm-hmm. out and, and you did remark the exact same thing. This is different than back home. Mm-hmm. It, it really, you know, you think about it from us northerners, you know, we, we come down to southern Nebraska and think, well, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, pretty similar. Mm-mm. But it isn't. There no. are some subtle differences. Yeah, yeah. They, they really are. Uh, well, like, for example, when, when Laura and I were hunting uh, north of the grasslands mm-hmm. uh, uh, in Kansas on day two, Two? Was it day two? I think it was day two. I can't remember. They all They're all blur. blending together. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we're on week three. So it feels like it. Uh, you, you know, know you have to take a quail trip right as this ends, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so where Laura and I were hunting, it was kind of a similar setup. It was a, uh, what oh, I'm was pretty a great sure draw. Was, yeah. a, was a CRP mm-hmm. feel, you know, a draw, CRP acreage uh, w- with a, a meandering coulee draw going through it uh, with really thick locust trees. But uh, it, it it wasn't it wasn't quite as deep and it wasn't quite as thick as mm-hmm. as what the one up here was, and I could get in there, you know, and flush that covey and at least have a, a chance at, at hitting a bird or seeing a bird. You know. So who wants to explain what happened um, when the covey came up from their perspective? Who saw it all? Anybody see it all? Because I, I don't I, think anybody, I saw parts of it. <laughs> I think everybody know? saw parts because. If I recall correctly, a couple of birds blew up and kind of flew in every direction without, again, a couple Just of birds normal. without any shots being fired, as I recall. And, you know, there were a group of folks, and I think two of you were up on the right. No, that the, was the, the three Andrew, of us. All yeah. three of you were. Yeah, yeah. all three of us were. <laughs> I was in the... Thicket down in the bottom. You're a great bird dog, by the way. And I had already made my way through that thicket going across instead of down it like you did. And then um, Andy and Marissa were up on the the left. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Jake was with you guys, right? The video? Yep. Yep. Jake and Logan were too. So then what happened? Because you guys saw it better than I did because well, I was sort of buried. I, I know that I yelled to somebody, and I don't even know who, but when as we were going down and, and somebody said, oh, there's some birds, and I'm like, oh, well, there, there's more than two or three birds here. And so when we just kept working down the side, and then all of a sudden most of the covey, I think, bust out of there. And then... Chad scratched his itch. <laughs> well, that's, right. that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was an, an unconventional way, but uh, because the, the bird came from across the draw and, you know, I was, my dog had nothing to do with it. The bird flew across the draw and as it flew across, just a classic, fairly easy uh, crossing shot. And uh, I took the shot, the bird fell, and then I realized that Andrew had taken a shot at the exact same time that I did. I mean, literally... It was one gunshot. I was I was in the uh, bottom. I was 
only able to see i saw the bird kind of flying in slow motion it was probably the easiest shot of the trip chat oh it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not gonna make i'm not gonna try to make any <laughs> so birds fly and the only person i could see is you and what i heard in my ears was one shot but then you know when we got up and just, you know taking the photos and stuff like oh yeah there were two shots Wow, I didn't. I mean, it was as simultaneous as ever. Yeah. A shot oh, yeah. Down. It was. It was crazy because I immediately started walking to the bird, and and Laura's yelling at me like where it is because we didn't have <laughs> a dog in it. front of us. So she marked it. And she's like, ten more feet. Take three steps right, and then like <laughs> there it is, laying. I, I I grabbed it. It's like, yeah, I got a quail. <laughs> <laughs> and and then uh, and then I I look at Chad walking up, and, and like his gun's broken. I I look at his gun, and I like I'm looking for the shell to see if. If he had also shot, because yeah. I didn't hear any of that, I'm like, did you shoot? He's like, yeah. <laughs> did you? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, you were closer. I'll tell you that. So this is going to be yours. So have, have we looked at the videotape yet for an instant replay? We, we haven't we done haven't. any forensic science yet. Because yeah. yeah. you guys dissected some of the other shots from the night before. And it would be interesting to know who actually hit the bird if – Maybe it was both of you. We made a gentleman's agreement that we think we both hit the bird. Oh, yeah. Different wings. We, we, we already discussed this. Yeah. We, we, it was a great teamwork. We were both there on it, and we both dropped the bird. Well, that bird was flying so slow. I hope you both hit it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> every, every once in a while, you deserve a layup. That's okay. <laughs> that, that's okay. I, missed, I missed the next one. <laughs> and I think Jake was worried that I wasn't going to take that shot because there have been a few pheasants on this trip where I've, I've not taken the shot for various reasons reasons mm-hmm. uh and this bird was flying across the draw and jake was going quail 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 and i i just wanted to wait until i got a clear shot on the bird and but i think jake was really starting to get worried that he was, was not going to get something on on video <laughs> to me i i watched that bird and it was kind of flying relatively slow again it was uh, um yeah. and just coming across and and you were like it a batter in the batter's box. Like Chuck Nabla is the name that comes to my mind. You were checking your left-hand batting glove, your right-hand batting glove. You kind of made sure the pine tar was on your bat. You kind of dug into the plate and got down, you know, loosened up your shoulders, you know, pointed at that bird, followed it a little bit, and then finally shot. I had to make sure that I got it. <laughs> because if I had missed that bird, I would never hear the end of it. Yeah. Especially after <laughs> That's having another good reason to hunt alone. <laughs> exactly. Especially ever having after having not put anybody on birds in Kansas. Yeah. I was like, I was not going to miss this bird. As it turned out, neither Andrew <laughs> or I missed the bird. That, that covey was so much fun. Yeah, uh, um, that was. I can't remember the last time I I'd had a covey flush like that because mm-hmm. um, I just don't get after them all, all that often. And I remember th- I remember thinking to myself man, I don't do this a lot because after the first two kind of went down the middle, mm-hmm. I yelled Covey and Chad yelled quail. And I was like, I don't even know what to yell. <laughs> <laughs> I say birds. <laughs> so I was like, man, I'm a, I'm a noob at this, but holy cow, is this chaotically fun. And I think it does also point out, uh, I think it illustrates the fact that despite, you know, the good natured ribbing about gentlemanly Bob, you know, gentleman Bob and, and honorable birds and all that, quail are just as interested in staying alive as pheasants are, and they can be just as wily. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and we did have the advantage that they kind of broke up one at a time or a couple at a time because that is their absolute life-saving ability is to flush together. Yeah. 
because it, it, you know you think about a pheasant they can get up to speeds of 60 miles an hour i mean they are purely fastballs whereas you get into quail what throws you off is being able to pick one, pick one out, out because when they explode and all you hear is you know 30 sets of wings and then they go in every different direction God, that is an adrenaline rush. It is. It's I, awesome. Oh, it's like someone pulling a zipper. It's like, it's like all these wings going on. And no matter how many times you can tell yourself, pick one bird, pick one bird, pick one bird. Oh, it, no. It doesn't work. I only pick one bird 50% <laughs> of the time. You pick one bird when it happens like it happened exactly. today. And yeah. there's one bird flying in your direction and the rest already went the other way. Yeah. Well, I have seen quail, though, as far as coveys go, when they bust. uh, What you saw with the two going the the other way. Like almost straight at us, but right through the middle where nobody was standing. Right. Um, I have actually seen them decoy, like you would not believe, where the rest of the covey goes the other way. Hmm. So there will be sometimes one or two birds that flush one direction, and the covey's just booking it the other direction. So you have to be aware that that's, you know, something that they'll do. If that's covey that's been busted a few times, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to figure out a way to survive, right. just like you said. And so so we continue through this draw, and it wasn't uh, – I, I mean, well, how many coveys did we flush? Because they, they didn't – there wasn't a, a massive – well, you had a, a larger covey flush in front of you on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and same there was, covey. You think it was the same mm-hmm. covey? You, yeah, you really? it was a large covey. Yes, huh. it was. Huh. I count my birds. See, when I hear when somebody says, okay, two went that way, and I saw one that way and one that way, a yeah. covey doesn't survive with two or three birds. Yeah. There's usually more birds. <laughs> so if you didn't figure out where they were, that's what you got to do is go figure out what happened to them. Yeah. So there's more birds. They just don't want to let you know that. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot to learn. (laughs) I never saw that second. You're talking about in the second draw. I I, I was talking about the second draw when you were up alone. Over the other. Yeah. Yeah. But see, I knew there were still more birds in the first draw that we busted. We took a second bird. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I jumped ahead. That's what I was talking about. I jumped ahead. Um, Because you're right. There were still more birds Mm-hmm. And those birds got up after we did all the photography mm-hmm. video. Yeah. It was probably they held really tight, close to a ten-minute break. Yes, oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Easy. we finished out that particular draw mm-hmm. in two, at least two, two or three. Anyway, there, there, there yeah. were three. There were three. Yep. Okay. Yep. And um, nobody got shot. Well, or maybe on, did on our on our side. I I took a shot once they cleared everybody. Yep. Right. And then that's when Andy took a shot. Oh, and, that's and, right. And, and he, then he and got he, that. He dropped it. Yep. Okay. That's right. So we we pulled two out of that covey, and then that's when you know I had to go have fun, <laughs> which meant you know more content stuff. But instead of pulling everybody out of the field because everyone's all excited to get in into quails, like no no no, you guys go hunt, you go have fun. I'll go back to the truck and start doing content stuff. Um, so the rest of the day, yeah. I I still haven't gotten an update okay, in terms so, of what happened. Here. So we crossed some more <laughs> we crossed some more weed stubble and went to another ravine, mm-hmm. which I think what? was the very backside of the it property. Was. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I always struggle with what I should be calling that. 
ravine, uh, ravine. bottomland. What no, do you, what a, do you ravine. Guys a ravine. Yeah, yeah. I okay. usually call it a ravine. I mean, it's not a canyon. It's not big enough mm-hmm. to be a canyon. A draw. A draw. I yeah. usually call it a draw. A draw. Okay. So we get to another draw. Ravine's a little bigger than a draw. And folks will, uh, I think this photo will be in the photo gallery. As we got down to the bottom of that wheat stubble where the draw began, there was kosher mm-hmm. around it, and every single one of our bird dogs stacked up on point. And that was a cool shot. It was very cool. I didn't get to see that one. Because <laughs> you started, the right. wa- yeah, you started walking mm-hmm. to the right, and um, uh, what got up was a hen pheasant, which we actually had a variety of pheasants, hens and roosters, mm-hmm. none That's that true. played nice as we walked that entire ravine. Um, but I, w- what I jumped ahead to earlier was that as we went halfway up that second ravine, you had a covey of quail kind of get up wild. They did, and they scattered. And I still think there were still more birds in there, especially since I saw birds way at the top mm-hmm. on that hill where the curve was of the wheat field. And they were going <laughs> every which direction. And that was at least one pheasant that did that as well. Hmm. What's the biggest covey you guys have ever seen? Oh, wow. Uh, bobs or blues? Because uh, there's a tell, difference. Tell me both. Well, um, bobs, I think the biggest covey I think I've seen is 30 to 40 birds. Wow. Yeah. And, and then blues, 60 plus. Holy mackerel. Yeah. So when you see a covey that size, is it, I mean, is it just... You can't even pick one out. You just <laughs> it's automatic flock shooting, or are you focused enough on a point and you get a, you know, you're you what, walk into it knowing. Well, let's put it this way: What time for reference are we talking about? When I first became a bird hunter, it was like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and I would not really focus and try to, you know, pick birds to shoot. Now I'm much better at looking and picking out birds mm-hmm. to try to shoot. I so. usually try to pick, you know, I mean, you, you get a covey rise and you get birds going everywhere. I, I generally try to pick birds that are either a stragglers mm-hmm. or birds on the periphery of this sort of blob of birds that are, are good. That's, that's really the only way that I can process w- within my, my mind mm-hmm. enough to actually focus on a bird. Yep. You know, it, 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 when I try to pick a bird out of like a covey rise of birds and there, there are several birds around it, it's, just, it's a lot more difficult for me to actually focus enough to pick one out. I always try to kind of look toward those edges. You know? mm-hmm. When I've mm-hmm. quail hunted in groups of three or four, <clears throat> it's often people's eyes go to the exact same thing, right? It's the, it's the bird that veers away mm-hmm. from the, the group. right or the like, left. Like, well, I shot at that one. Like, I shot at that one. It's like, we had 30 in front of us and we both <laughs> shot at the same one. But that's the natural it tendency is, is like mm-hmm. one breaks left, right, and you go for that yeah. one. I'll tell you a story that was so cool, and I'll, I don't think I'll ever remember it. I wish I had a camera to have captured it. But we were in the middle of some public uh, WMA land in western Oklahoma, and there were four of us that were hunting together with our bird dogs, et cetera, and two were definitely more experienced at that point in time than I was, so I'm kind of the rookie back here <laughs> standing mm-hmm. in the back. But we had worked an entire field, finally in the middle of some oak shinnery, uh, in a large piece of property, we just had the, the, all the dogs went down, and 
somehow, some way, we ended up with kind of like a, a semi-half circle around these birds with the dogs. The, the birds held. Hmm. They didn't bust at all. So as we go in to flush them, the coolest thing, you know how a mushroom cloud like <laughs> goes up and bursts? That's exactly what happened. They went up, straight up in the middle of the bird dogs and us people. And we were up. And all of a sudden, they just hung seriously huh. for like a half second in midair. And then they went, boom, every which direction. <laughs> Nobody got a shot. Nobody. <laughs> I've never had the mushroom cloud of quail happen to me. <laughs> but I want to someday. Yeah. It was phenomenal. I'll never I, forget it. I think I'd be collateral damage of the nuclear fallout. I'd just be a puddle. Like, ah, what happened? <laughs> I, was, I know. I was just stunned. I'd never seen anything like that before. Oh, that's terrific. Um, all right. So I've, we, we've started to talk about the differences between pheasants and quail. It's, you know, we've largely been hunting pheasants over the last few days as two people that love quail hunting above all other birds. Compare and contrast pheasants to quail for us. So, you know, obviously, we got a hundred in, let's say, a hundred thirty thousand pheasants forever members, eighteen thousand quail forever members. The vast majority of this audience is our pheasant hunters. The vast majority of this audience wants to be quail hunters too, and right. Mm. I mean, it's a terrific. It's just not tapped enough of an opportunity to extend your season by going south, whether mm -hmm. it's Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arizona, Texas. Texas. New Mexico's uh, got some great blues. Or, or even mm. to the southeast, right, for, for a different kind of experience mm -hmm. in Georgia and Alabama and Florida. There's two people that love quail hunting who have just spent the last four days largely pheasant hunting. What are the main differences? Habitat. <laughs> Literally habitat and what we're walking through. Mm -hmm. Ta explain that a little bit more. Well, um, the rainfall, I was going to look up the average rainfall for Nebraska compared to Kansas compared to where we are in Oklahoma. And there's definitely a difference in how much you get in rainfall, which in turn means the vegetation is twice as tall as you are instead of being at your calf in other words the difference in short grass prairie versus the booniest tall stuff that i've ever walked through yeah. so because <laughs> so. you've said that a couple of this stuff mm -hmm. that we've walked uh weehaw in kansas mm -hmm. the open fields this is this is thicker taller oh, yes. habitat than you're used to mm -hmm. absolutely and i'm pretty sure chad would yeah, agree I, with I me i do think yeah like like I, I hunt Weehaw in, in uh, western and central Kansas quite a bit, and I do think that the CRP fields up here are a little bit thicker. There's There seems to be more of the, the kosha, is that? Kosha is that woody the, yeah, stuff the, that we've been. Yeah, that we, that, you know, down there you usually see around old homesteads and stuff. You, you don't usually see monstrous <laughs> draws of it, you know, 10 feet tall. Uh, so there's a little bit of, of, and of I a think difference there. Just for listeners, um, there was an immense amount of moisture here in Kansas and Nebraska this mm -hmm. spring. So the cover is even thicker, heavier than we've ever experienced on this trip. Oh, yeah. It's got a little Jumanji feel to it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that reference. <laughs> well, what, what, what else from a habitat perspective for you, Chad? Uh, I, well, it's a little bit different for me because I actually do – 
take some quail out of CRP fields in, in Kansas. Uh, you know, so, so I'm a little bit more used to, to hunting that type of cover and expecting to see quail in it. Uh, the, the differences for me in terms of pheasant hunting versus quail hunting, just from a general perspective, is um, I, I do think that pheasant hunters tend to walk a little bit slower than, than quail hunters. I like to move. I like to cover ground, and, and I like to follow the dogs, and I like the dogs to be out in front of me covering ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I, I don't feel uncomfortable to have my dogs you know, 100, 200, you know, several hundred yards out in front of me. And I think maybe pheasant hunters are a little bit more nervous mm-hmm. about that. It's, it's not being nervous, though. It, it's, it's, I mean, being, it, it's, it's being efficient because, yeah. so, again, I'll go plug the day three video. There, there's a point that Leo has, like, this is Leo on point. Which is Chad's English Which is, is Chad's setter. And Marissa walks up to it, walks past Leo. Leo relocates and he relocated over where the bird was. And once they were both passed, that hen then flushed. So, I mean, Logan's even lamented a few times. He's like, man, we need to slow down and let the dogs work. Yeah. Because the cover is so thick, we're walking past birds. Yeah. Like, they're, they're sitting there and, and, and I we're do just think, blowing right I do past think that's, that's really a, a cultural difference yep. in, uh, in pheasant hunters and quail hunters is, is maybe the, the speed of, of how you cover ground. But mm-hmm. that's changing in quail hunting because, you know, people like Dwayne Elmore, who um, does a lot of quail research out of OSU, his, one of his latest studies that he did or participated in, he actually demonstrated that the huge majority of the time that your dog is birdie, mm-hmm. okay, trust your bird dog. Trust. <laughs> What's that? You, bit trust of it your bird dog, okay. I'm trying to get that through my Let head. <laughs> them work the area. Stop and let them work it because mm-hmm. the research showed that most people will just keep pushing on, mm-hmm. and yet they left the birds behind. Mm-hmm. So... That is something that you kind of have to keep in mind where you're working, obviously, and what area you're in and what kind of country you're in. But it definitely, um, it's always about your bird dog, really. You can't smell the birds. They can. And speaking of bird dogs um, and related to this, both of your dogs do, in fact, work considerably farther out. And like mm-hmm. as you were touching upon, you know, there is a, I think part of it's probably a level of comfort, but there's also a combination of the habitat being maybe a little bit thinner. So mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. they can cover more ground in their search. Yeah. And I look at people like they're crazy when they say, oh, you mean your your dog works, what, 20 yards away from you? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> there's also probably a breeding component, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a breed component. English setters mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. work bigger than Labradors, yeah. Yeah. right? So, and, and that's, you know, it all plays into why you gravitate towards those things in that breed as a preferred quail hunter. Well, and a Brittany is not normally considered a pheasant dog. I mean, they're a smaller breed compared to some of your other, um, your pointers and some of your um, GSPs, etc. And, and it's, Typically, you'll find them more south, I'm going to say, rather than northern. <laughs> you know, actually, <laughs> so uh, Brittany's, I think it was Field and Stream two years ago called Brittany's the universal best bird dog breed. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, yeah, so I do, like, um, 
in the grouse woods, there's mm-hmm. a lot of Brittany owners. Are they? There's there's actually a lot of. So I've never hunted pheasant, grouse. So. Pheasant pheasant owners, there's a lot of Brittany mm-hmm. uh, or pheasant hunters. There's a lot of Brittany. I think Brittany's are virtually universal. They're one of the most universal breeds across all species because they are so, um, you know, they're quote unquote a versatile dog, both a pointer and a retriever. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I, aren't there more English pointers becoming? Uh, Pretty competitive in cover dog trials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the grouse woods. So. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you so. can see that within the employees at Pheasants Forever, too. Mm-hmm. There's more and more English pointers. It, so there is that crossover, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think that, you know, like, if, if you're a pheasant hunter and you're wanting to come to quail country, to get back to your original pointer question, uh, if you're a pheasant hunter wanting to come to quail country to hunt, I don't necessarily think you have to have a quail dog to find some success. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Agreed. You know, I, I think that, uh, that if, if you work it right, if you hunt the right conditions or the right habitat, uh, I think that you can have success with a lab. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to, uh, you just have to work it the right way. Hmm. That, well, there's, there's, we have uh, unlimited photos from people that send in their lab photos with uh, with quail with, in with their quail. mouth. That <laughs> yeah. proves that point, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm not gonna. Now I'm not saying that that would be the most effective or most efficient way to do it. But if you're a pheasant hunter, and that's the dog you have, right? Well, that's no reason not to go try to go quail hunting. You know, I think you you work with what you've got and see if it if you can make it work. All right. So so talk a little bit about. I had to borrow shells from Laura at midday. <laughs> Because I was I was too ammoed up. <laughs> I had uh, I had my pheasant loads in, for my twenty gauge, and I, I borrowed your sixes. Mm-hmm. What what are, what are your go to chokes and loads for when you're really focused on on quail? Seven and a halfs. Yeah. Yeah. Normally. Yeah. yeah. I'll I usually use seven and a halfs. What about chokes? As Modified and improved. So yeah, I'm I'm more of a of a skeet. Model, or a skeet cylinder, or not necessarily skeet, but improved cylinder skeet mm-hmm. kind of guy. I like I like open chokes because I, I'm generally uh, a snap shooter. I, gen- I I I shoot fairly quickly. I'm not uh, I'm not someone who like really takes a long time to to take a shot. So most of my shots are going to be fairly quick, mm. and probably within you know twenty twenty five yards. Um, quail on the dinner plate. Mm. Compare and contrast a pheasant. White meat for mm-hmm. one. Um, not a lot less of it, so you don't have big of <laughs> nearly the chunks of meat. So you need a few more quail on your plate rather than you w- what you would with pheasant. Um, you c- have to cook it a lot more gently. Mm. In the sense, don't overcook it. You, know, you can dry it out in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I will defer to her after eating her, her pheasant piccata last night. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> it was delicious. So we have um, your blog for pheasant piccata, which you cooked on the tailgate. I know. Of the on Rooster the, Road Trip truck. Tailgate with meal. Our, with our camp chef equipment. So get, give an overview of what you did. Oh, um, basically, once you get your birds cleaned, and these guys were awesome, they already had the stove out there on the tailgate and had everything set up, and um, I came in and I asked, well, do we have this or that? Just a few utensils, you know, prepping ahead of time. I wish I had been a part of that little conversation but that's I eat okay quesadillas for 90 percent <laughs> of my meals so i, I so i, I improvised left, left <laughs> i definitely improvised but it all came out great yeah. basically um you uh, as far as this particular recipe goes um 
you pound your meat out so that it's nice and thin. It cooks quickly that way. And when you're tailgating, everything is fast. Mm -hmm. You have to be have everything prepared ahead of time and definitely just go boom, 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 because you're literally like switching your hands and uh, having somebody help you flip or, you know, that type of thing. And um, cook the meat, and floured and cooked the meat on in one pan. And then we, um, I made the sauce on the other side and um, basically just slid those pheasant pieces in there and everybody chowed. It was terrific. So. Field to fork, all within, Yum. all within a matter of probably three hours. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. And the meal itself to, to make it was definitely less than a half hour. Yeah. That so. was really quick. And that uh, that blog with the full recipe is on the website. You can find it at pheasantsforever.org under stories or roosterroadtrip.org. Um, day four story. So, um, all right. So before we get to the Instagram questions, we, uh, we've got one day left in the rooster road trip. And when we finish our hunt tomorrow, we're scattering... <laughs> Into the wind in a variety <laughs> of directions. You two have been carpooling together um, since we started, and you'll head back to Oklahoma when we're done. So you've got how, how many hours do you have to drive tomorrow? Six and a half. I think okay. so. That's yeah. about what it comes out to. <clears throat> in in the Minnesotans. His in, place, and then I've yeah. got another two and a half. Two and a half hours past <laughs> my place. That's right, because Woodward in Oklahoma City. Then mm-hmm. Marissa's got the would would normally have the easy drive to Omaha, but she has to go to a meeting in South Dakota, so she's heading north, <laughs> and then the rest of us are heading uh, to the Twin Cities. So we will do a a recap podcast of the entire thing probably sometime next week, but we're going to scatter to the wind tomorrow. And we also know that there's not a lot of folks that are going to listen on Friday night. <laughs> so we're going to have some, some thoughts marinate for a future podcast. But since you are here as Oklahomans, what, what's your, uh, we got one day left, but what's your impressions of uh, Rooster Road Trip at, at this point in, in a favorite moment? And we can start with whoever is Opportunity. Just, I... I had no idea that Nebraska, I knew Kansas had Weehaw, the program. I just had no clue that Nebraska had so much public land available mm-hmm. like that um, with the walk-in programs, you know, similar. Yeah. They call it what, open waters? Open fields and waters. Open fields and waters. Okay, I mm-hmm. definitely didn't get that right. Because there's a, there's a fishing component to their mm-hmm. access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it used Which is to, great. Yeah, it, and you can see on their atlas they got a little fish <laughs> icon if there's um, – um, access to water. Okay. Yeah. No. So that to me was an eye opener. And I like, you know what? I'm going to have to put on my list in the future of going to Nebraska to hunt. Well, so. and, and I'll take a stab at what your favorite memory is and why you might want to come back. Well, I got my bird. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> actually, and it was like the picture, like my blog story the other day. This was actually like the picture perfect almost I didn't have a dog pointing in front of me at that point but that bird just he just went to the right of me and I just swung my gun and boom and he dropped I mean I was like yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it was it's probably my favorite moment watching is that right I was excited (laughs) you know to see that bird get up in front of four people 
two of them have cameras oh. in their hands, <laughs> and you got an absolute clean shot, mm-hmm. and there's no doubt that it was yours. And the smile on your that. face when you held that bird, I was like, that? It's pretty exciting. I mean, it was the first one I've had in over five <clears throat> years. I mean, I don't remember the last time I took a pheasant. There's not a lot of pheasant hunting. I hate to say this, Oklahoma, but... There's a lot more yeah. opportunity for pheasant in Kansas and Nebraska. You know, just the smile, um, you, you know, when any of us. It's exciting. Succeeded. Yes. You know, and. You know, I cheered it, everybody on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's, it is a moment. Um, that's why we're out here. You know, we, we appreciate the habitat, the exercise, the public access, the beautiful day, the camaraderie, the meal. Mm-hmm. But that moment when it all comes together as success that is that's uh, those are moments you don't forget yeah yeah you'll remember i mean that in the smile of that success mm-hmm. will me- it meant a lot to you and mm-hmm. it it made me smile <laughs> so well i appreciate the landowners who have signed up for the crp programs and other additional mm-hmm. programs that help benefit wildlife because that's what makes it all go around yeah so chad so so what do you want first my my favorite memories or my impressions of the trip well i'll start with (laughs) with my favorite memories and there are a couple of them uh and one of them andrew is just going to give me endless grief about uh but it was it was watching my my setter pup kind of start to figure out pheasants a little bit on on day three that that was pretty cool even though he you know he wasn't doing it for me (laughs) <laughs> he was doing it for everyone else in the group. But, uh, Thanks, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed that. Bro. Yeah, I did. I, uh, I so, had a so that was, smile. Yeah, that, that was really cool. Um, it, it, I liked watching both Marissa and Laura get their birds. It was really mm-hmm. cool to watch both of that. Uh, so in, in terms of favorite memories, I think those are, are, are good ones. Overall impressions, I, you know, one of the things, you know, Obviously, I, I came in and I hunted with you guys back in 2009 for yep. a couple of days when yep. on the second rooster road trip, and uh, and I stayed I stayed with you for I think two days, and and I saw that you guys were working, but uh, I, I didn't really have any comprehension of of how much uh, time and effort you put into it, and it's mm-hmm. only gotten more yeah. complex and more right. labor Intense. intensive since then, and I think probably I mean the most eye opening part of this trip for me, honestly, and it, and it I, I don't know if it has anything to do with you know trying to stay on message about you know public access and all that. But one of the things that most impressed me about the trip was how much Andrew and you and Jake and Logan worked. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, that that just blew my mind. I mean, you guys are putting in all these hours and, and I felt guilty because I, you know, I, I tried to contribute some, but, uh, uh, you guys made this whole thing work. You, you, you're not getting off the hook. You you got a big (laughs) blog to write tonight, Chad. Yeah, is this I, not? <laughs> I haven't seen that in my inbox yet. <laughs> I thought maybe by giving you guys this pitch, that maybe you'd let me, you know, take a pass on that. <laughs> Obviously not. No, I, you know, I, I, and, and it was it, yeah. truly you guys do an incredible job of this. I mean, I'm just in, I concur. especially Jake and Logan. I mean, here are two guys out there. They've been here for a week carrying cameras while watching us yeah. you know I, I just just it's and the, the stuff that they put out it just it blows my mind mm-hmm. and 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 they do it so consistently and so quickly so i mean in terms of just things that just i opened my eyes mm. how much work you guys put into this you know and and what a grind it is for you guys and to produce such a quality product uh, 
overall impressions. I, I mean, it's just it was so cool to come on the trip. I, uh, I I just loved every minute of it. I mean, the first part of it was tough on me because, you know, I, I kind of felt the some pressure. pressure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of felt some pressure to, to produce birds for you guys, and I couldn't. You know, I mean, I mean, I w- I was out there two weeks before, and I found birds and shot birds. And I will probably go back in a couple of weeks and and find. It's just that's just the way it goes. You know, you know what? that's just the way that's hunting goes. Public land bird hunting, yeah. and if you're in it just to whack a limit, yeah, yeah you absolutely. Know, that's, go you to know, a game I mean, farm. The, mm-hmm. the only guys who do that consistently are the you know the guys on social media. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Your tongue was firmly planted in cheek on that chat. <laughs> But you know, we we do have your review coming up, and you have to be a little bit more active on dispatches from nowhere. <laughs> Ooh, just dropping his handle oh, for people. Instagram oh. handle. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, maybe I'll Everybody follow dispatches from nowhere on Instagram. That's Chad's Instagram handle. Uh, Laura, it's my obscure personal you could Instagram. You could learn a th- thing or two from Laura's Twitter uh, presence, which is... <laughs> Uh, Laura Mick Outdoors. Laura Mick Outdoors mm-hmm. on Twitter. That's kind of your baby. Mm-hmm. And Chad doesn't post a ton, but when he does post on Instagram, it's very thoughtful and provoking. And, <laughs> or uh, very profane. And, and it's going to be a private account, so go, go follow really <laughs> <It's> good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of Instagram, it's time to go to the uh, – the questions portion of tonight's podcast. Yes. Do we have music for this part? Um, we are we are a nonprofit organization, and we don't have music. <laughs> I could well, you get, could I, I could get pound Jake, out a I beat. could get Jake to do it, but at this point, he's been working so hard that I'm not going to ask him to do anything extra. Um, well, I'll, I'll 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 keep these quick. I know we've already been uh, going at it for a while here. Um, so, Bob, today you used a, a couple different tools. Um, and this this question pertains to that. How are you able to find the public land options in Nebraska? Um, the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission puts out uh, one of the best atlases for public lands in the country. It, it's a printed atlas. You can get it at uh, most sporting goods stores, some of the gas stations. You can actually contact the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, ask them for an atlas. You can do it now. You can... Um, contact them before the season. Go to their website and ask for it. They have two. They have two tools. They have their public access, and then they supplement that a little bit closer to the hunting season, um, specifically around their stubble program, wheat stubble, sorghum stubble, and that's actually what we hunted to mm-hmm. find the quail. Yeah. <clears throat> which um, you know, you th- there are folks that live and die by hunting pheasants in in wheat stubble. Uh, I'll take a pass on that. It's not my favorite type of habitat. Yeah, I mean, you can make a living finding limits in wheat stubble. I just don't enjoy it. I'd rather walk grass. Um, but if you look in those wheat stubble um, spots on the map, there's often draws mm-hmm. or ravines. And in those draws, like we found today, is where you find a lot of your bobwhite quail. Very cool. All right. We have a listener who says, heading to Nebraska with my two field-bred English Cocker Spaniels on Sunday, I want to make Bob White the priority of this trip. Any tips on finding some success with the flushers? I'm looking at the two pointing dog owners. (laughs) Actually, you know, honestly, the spot that we hunted today, Mm -hmm. I think would be ideal for flushers. So Uh, tighter draws. Tighter Mm -hmm. draws with the lots of cover. 
you know, walk on either side of the draw as your as your little cockers get in there and work that cover. I think that'd be a, an extremely effective way to hunt quail if you don't have pointers. And trim your dogs. Say that again? Trim your dogs. Oh, trim the first. Mm-hmm. So they, um, cockleburs. Yeah. Yes. That's a really good suggestion. You've had to deal with that a time or two, haven't you? Oh, just a few. <laughs> How often do you trim your Brittany? Um, pr- actually, probably every couple of months. Okay. Th- yeah, we trim them a lot. Yeah. Um, and I had to buy a comb, a special comb, just two nights ago so I could oh, comb right. out her ears. Yep. Cool. Good suggestion. All right. Uh, last question, because I, I think, well, I don't know, but maybe the answers are different. <clears throat> if we're going from pheasant versus quail, how do you change your strategy for time of day? For example, morning versus midday versus afternoon. Do you hunt different habitat uh, to f- or do you, and do you find the birds run more in the afternoon? Like, how does your strategy change? Pheasant or quail? So, like, f- for me personally, like speaking for, for the pheasant side of things, mm-hmm. um, if we're in a state like Kansas or Nebraska where we can start right at sunrise, I want to be in, in grass right away because I want to catch them coming off the roost. Uh, middays, generally, when they're kind of loafing around, feeding, that's when I'll, I'll really search out the fields that abut and I'll pick egg or any sort of egg. I'll walk those lines. Now, there are certain times where I'll just walk the line that abuts the, the corn or, or the, mm-hmm. the sorghum or whatever, and I'll call it good and go find another one because they're generally stacked up really close to where, where they're feeding. And then, of course, everybody knows about the golden hour. Mm-hmm. You know, when they come home to, to roost in the last hour of the day, you want to be back in the grass. So that's kind of how I split up those three different times throughout the day. That's not too far off from quail, but quail will move, I'm going to say, in a different fashion for different reasons. First off, um, they're a lot more sensitive to temperature. So there are a couple of WMAs that come right up to my <laughs> forefront of my memory in the last few weeks where we because the temperature was 20 degrees different from the top than it was down in the bottoms. They stayed up and roosted at night. And then as it heated up in the day, they went down to the bottoms. Hmm. So you kind of have to keep, you know, things like temperature in mind as well when it comes to quail. They'll definitely want to go out and feed similarly, you know, like pheasant do. But um, they're going to be more erratic for one. And they're much more sensitive to um, the ambient temperature. Hmm. So, And I, I tend to, to try to hunt, like, in the mornings, like, for example, when I hunt back home, uh, kind of the same thing on some of the WMAs that I hunt. Uh, early morning, I'll, I will, early to mid-morning, I'm looking for things like flats, uh, rag, you know, patches of ragweed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just basically Ooh. just classic feeding areas for, for quail. Midday, I, I, I try to hit loafing cover. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try to hit things like, you know, sand plum thickets, shelter belts, things like that. And in the, in the afternoon, back to, to, to feed fields. It's, it's really, you know, fairly similar to what pheasants are, just kind of different habitats. So the, the, the basic pattern is, is the same. So you're saying if I go down to Oklahoma, I stand a chance. I might be able to figure it out. I think you I can think figure it out fairly <laughs> quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Chad, Laura. Thank you very much for joining us on Rooster Road Trip. We do have one more day, but it has been a really, real, uh, it's been a blast to be able to hunt with you guys. And today, to kind of change the game and go quail hunting was, um, was a definite highlight of this trip. 
and thankfully we got a couple. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I had a blast. I had fun. It was fun, absolutely. And thank you for having us. I mean, I've enjoyed it, and it's been a good trip, and better than I expected that it would turn out as far as myself goes. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, I was hoping for the scaled quillo. I just wanted to get you guys one scaled quill. Oh, they just have track shoes in, on. That's all you have to remember. Well, <laughs> there's reason to come back, right? Mm -hmm. It's all. It's okay to have things that you know you aspire to accomplish. And, um, you know, going after scalies is a good thing to to aspire to. All right, folks. Uh, a, a shout out to the corporate partners who have made. The Rooster Road Trip 2019 l Long Tails. <laughs> late, late season, season Long, long Tails. tails. <laughs> late, <at laughs> night, late, late in the trip. Late season Long Tails and our Quail Quest, a reality. Uh, Browning Shotguns and Apparel. Apple Autos helping with the uh, Rooster Road Trip truck. Orca Coolers that now has some Bob White Quail on ice. <laughs> Garmin outfitting our dogs with uh, GPS collars, sound gear protecting our hearing, Rufflin' Kennels where our dogs are, are sleeping very soundly after running all day, Federal Premium Ammunition, Camp Chef, which uh, Laura helped us uh, with dinner last night putting those Camp Chef uh, equipment to, to good use, Irish Setter, can read a blog online right now uh, with all of our favorite different Irish Center boots. And finally, the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission for sponsoring um, our visit to Nebraska, which includes day five tomorrow. Follow us online and follow those uh, adventures, day five adventures at roosterroadtrip.org. And I'll ask you one more time. Please go to roosterroadtrip.org and sign up to become a Pheasants Forever member today. If you do so through the Rooster Road Trip link, you will get the Browning Featherweight Classic Knife and Sheath, the Caplite, and your chance to win Laura MacGyver's very favorite Browning Satori White Lightning 12 gauge shotgun, the shotgun that she has been shooting personally herself for many, many years. You don't get to win Laura's shotgun, <laughs> no. but you get to win a brand new Browning Satori White Lightning. Roosterroadtrip.org. Please sign up to become a Pheasants Forever member. If you are a current member, if you sign up through that link, we will tack on a full year to your expiration date. It doesn't interfere with anything that are your current membership. We, if you expire July of 2020, you sign up through this offer, you'll get a full year added and your membership will expire July 2021. So please take advantage of this offer and you get a chance on that shotgun and automatically get the knife and the light. All right, it is time for us to go find something to eat because we walked our tails off today in search of pheasants and quail and had a blast doing it. Final words. Always follow the dog. I won't scream it into the <laughs> recorder this episode, and maybe I'll remember it when I go hunting tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast, and we will talk to you very soon.